Welcome to the More Than 10 podcast, where we acknowledge the trauma healthcare workers and first responders experience every day and foster a safe place to discuss and process them. Today, we are welcoming Reverend Michelle Karen, RMT, CHCYT, who is a former inner city high school teacher turned alternative health professional in 2009. She's an Usui Reiki master teacher, core shamanic healing practitioner and teacher, holistic health coach, certified herbalist, herbal teacher in yoga, meditation, and group fitness instructor. She works virtually with people from all walks of life across the world and specializes in healing the body, mind, emotions, and spirit from various types of trauma, as well as educating people about the benefits of holistic health techniques and options. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Hi, everyone. I'm Ashley, your podcast host. Welcome to the More Than 10 podcast. I'm an L&D nurse, new grad nurse, sister, learner, friend, all the things. I am so excited to be here with you guys today. And most importantly, I'm very excited to welcome Michelle Karen to our podcast. Michelle, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thanks Uh, so much for having me, Ashley. Yes, I'm so excited for this. So I already gave the audience a brief introduction of who you are, um, but to start off with, I would love it if you could tell us more about who you are and how you ended up becoming a healing practitioner and a teacher. That's a great question. Um, So my background started as a public school teacher. I was a secondary education professional. So I taught, I started out in middle school, moved up to high school, and that's where I first started noticing that there were a lot of people with a lot of trauma. And I realized that a lot of my students had been in and out of the foster care system. Mm -hmm. We didn't have enough counselors in the school to manage what was going on emotionally with my students. And we did not have enough school nurses really to handle what was going on physically with those students. Yeah, because a lot of them did not have insurance or a way to get to the doctor. And so they had physical trauma, they had mental and emotional trauma. A lot of them came from homes where there was drug use, alcohol abuse, uh, and other types of abuse going on. So I had a mostly traumatized population of students in the inner city. And so seeing that plus the parents, plus the other teachers, I was like, wow, there's a lot, there's just a lot to unpack here. More needs to be done. And then I had a lot of medical problems growing up. And I was the kid that was kind of like the guinea pig in the cage getting poked and given all the new experimental medications for things that back in the 1970s and 80s, when I was younger, um, they had not really a great idea of what to do for kids who were allergic to everything, or what to do with asthmatic children, or what to do for chronic migraines with aura. And I had all of those issues. I also had psoriasis and eczema, extremely sensitive skin, and a whole bunch of other things. And so the doctors were giving me all these meds. Some of them were killing people and they had to take me off of those meds. Some of those medications were steroidal, which caused terrible side effects. And so by the time I got to be a teenager, I was like, you know what? Ew. (laughs) This makes me feel worse than my allergies and all my autoimmune issues. So I decided to start meditating Um, for one, and looking into herbal remedies and dietary changes and realized that actually a lot of what was making my overall environmental allergies worse was food allergies uh, and food sensitivities. And that was a thing that wasn't really talked about unless you had a Um, peanut allergy back at that time in the 80s into the 90s now we're looking at. So it was just starting to be like a thing at that time. And so I 
had really good results and was really surprised uh, by that. And the doctors were really surprised. And so <laughs> I went on with my life and, and continued to um, do school and go to school to be an educator and um, doing lots of, lots of activity. And I, it, it was really during those years of being a teacher that I started to realize that when I was stressed out, all of my problems got worse. Mm. And that was like a huge root cause. And also the toxins and things that we were exposed to, cl the cleaning substances and things in the schools that were much stronger even than what I was using in my private home environment. So mm -hmm. I realized it kind of put everything together that all of this was going on. And so long story short, I started uh, learning Reiki and had really amazing results after a a pneumonia, a case of pneumonia with my friend who was studying Reiki. And I didn't even know what it was at the time. This was in the very early 2000s. We're talking like 2001, 2002 at this time. Mm -hmm. And she, she said, you know, oh, I'm learning Reiki. Can I do this on your lungs. And I was like, what is, what, wait, what is that like a <laughs> medical thing? Is it like some, what is that? And she explained to me what it was, uh, that it's this Japanese form of healing. And, and it actually worked. I had been having wheezing and pain in my lungs for months because I had fluid in my lungs for months after having this episode with pneumonia and it cleared everything up Wow! in, in one session. And so I was like, there's something to this. So I had to learn Reiki. So I started <laughs> learning Reiki a couple of years after that after finding a teacher. And uh, then I was also feeling really called to learn about shamanism at the same time. And so I studied core shamanism and continued to like dabble in herbs and meditation later on becoming a yoga instructor, fitness professional. When I had been told as a child, I would never be able to do exercise of the aerobic type, wow. maybe some swimming, maybe some yoga, maybe some light walking on a not too cold day, but I'd never be able to run. I can run now. I'd never be able to do aerobic fitness. I can do two hours of aerobic fitness with no problem. Wow. And I credit that to all the energy work that I've done as well as herbs and changing my diet and having a healthier lifestyle Yeah, and overall. So I'm not on any medications. I haven't been for like 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. and I eat an entirely plant-based diet only organic, local, uh, seasonal foods, very nutrient dense and um, take really good care of myself. And again, the stress of life, the anxiety of life is the main thing that I think we all need to be dealing with. And so that was really helping my students and their parents and my fellow teachers was how I started this journey. And then from there, it became, well, I'm just going to open a business where I do this forever because people need this. Amen. I love that. <laughs> that is amazing. And your cause is so genuine and so personal. Um, and I think a lot of people can appreciate that and resonate with that. Um, and, you know, I can also resonate with a little bit of what you're talking about seeing as a school teacher, uh, just because, you know, I had my clinicals in an inner city elementary school. And um, I did see firsthand all those students with asthma and eczema, as well as plenty of those home issues coming in. Mm -hmm. um, and it was shocking to me, never seeing, seeing that before. Um, but to the nurses who were taking care of it, you know, they were almost kind of numb to it. Um, and it's, a, I, I couldn't even, I remember thinking like, I can't even imagine, you know, caring for all these, all these children in this entire elementary school, it's all on these two nurses and they're the ones kind of dealing with it and the teachers as well. And it's just, it was a huge team effort and sometimes it was well over their heads and I give you and them a lot of credit. Um, so I can definitely resonate with that. I've seen it 
Um, and I have one more question. Sure. About that story. Um, so obviously you were open to meditation as forms of treatments, just different routes. But when she came to you about Reiki, um, were you apprehensive at first? Oh yeah. Little, yeah. Where did you yeah. not believe it? My, it was my best friend from growing up. And I was like, <laughs> what have you gotten yourself into? It sounds weird. And she also told me that her father-in-law was seeing a shamanic practitioner for his cancer. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I laughed when she first told me about it because nobody knew what this stuff was back then. But the reality is that Reiki has actually been around since the late 1800s. And it was invented by a doctor. It was a physician in Japan who created it. Mm. And that even though it's not medical, it's in addition to that. And that shamanism is the oldest form of healing on the planet. And we wouldn't still be using it if it wasn't effective. So that's true. That is yeah. very so I point. was really weirded out when she told me that I was like, okay, I guess you can try it on me if you have to practice for your <laughs> training or whatever. And so, uh, so it, yeah, that was a really interesting experience. Wow. That is really neat. Um, and in, in that gist, you also had just kind of touched upon how, um, when you were stressed, you felt your body, your, your health worsened. So it's almost like that emotional stress affected physical symptoms. Can you, um, kind of explain more about that connection? Um, just so people can have a better understanding of how one affects the other. Sure. Um, I'm an expert on that. I'm not a medical professional, but I've definitely experienced it firsthand. And a lot of my clients and students have experienced it firsthand too. So uh, for example, um, if I was really stressed out and I wasn't sleeping well, uh, and I was having just a lot of like a really stressful week. And if I was just kind of putting that in a room and going on with my week, so I'd start to get psoriasis sores on my scalp from that, like being brutally honest, oh, wow. um, if I wasn't taking care of myself and if I wasn't eating right, that would also cause that to happen. And then I would probably wheeze a little bit. So I have no symptoms of my asthma or psoriasis or allergies normally, but I'd start to get hives. I'd start to wheeze. Um, I'm a nervous hive person too. So anxiety causes all kinds of skin issues for me uh, personally. And I know I'm not alone in this now. There are many, many people struggling with all kinds of autoimmune diseases that have really similar symptoms to me. And so that's something that we have to be extra gentle with ourselves if we have, because things happen, life happens, right? And life is not always predictable. So if we're having a really stressful week with work or with something with family, maybe there's a loss in the family or somebody's sick or you're a parent taking care of children, uh, those are things that are going to cause stress. And we have to be conscientious about really vigilant about the food that we're putting in our body at that time, as well as what am I doing to manage the stress? I can't just keep putting it in a room because that room is going to overflow and it's going to come spilling out at some point through my, I'm going to have an emotional outburst or it's going to come out in some way with my health. And that can happen in a variety of ways. Definitely. Definitely. It's a lot to hold in. Um, and I, I feel that some people don't make the connection between physical symptoms that are happening with them and then the emotional side and root of where those are coming from. And I feel that that awareness mm -hmm. um, it's growing in society, especially with all the self-care techniques that we have out there. Um, but it takes a lot of self-reflection to realize that. Um, and I just, I, I agree. I feel that the more we talk about it, the more people will become aware of it. And then hopefully the better they can to take care of themselves before it gets to that point where, like you said, that room overflows. Absolutely. Definitely. And that is why we're here today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and now, so let's talk a little bit about chakras. 
Mm-hmm. Some people may have heard this term, others have not. Can you explain to us what they are and how they're influenced? Sure. The word chakra is a Sanskrit word that comes from Ayurvedic practice and from yoga, which is a newer practice than Ayurveda. Ayurveda is an ancient actual medicine uh, practice and form of kind of cleansing the body and detoxifying the body. And yoga came out of that uh, practice. So the, a chakra simply is an energy center in the body. And we have over 200 energy centers in the body. However, the ones that we hear about um, the kind of hot button topics that we see on social media and things like that uh, would be the seven chakras. There are seven major energy centers in the body that run up and down the length of the body from the crown to the to the feet, basically, or to your bottom of your bottom if you're sitting in a chair. Uh, so we have the crown chakra, the third eye chakra, which is in the forehead. The crown chakra is just above the head. We have the throat chakra, which is in the throat. We have our heart chakra, and the heart chakra comprises the area with like the lungs and the heart and that whole area. And we also have the solar plexus chakra, which is the upper abdominal area uh, above the belly button. And then we have the sacral chakra, which is below that uh, and is where our bladder, our kidneys and your readers, uh, our reproductive organs are located and part of our intestines. And then the root chakra, which is very much about the lower portion of the body and the lower portion of the intestines. And so the idea is that when different emotional things happen or different physical things happen, that trauma can get stuck in the body somewhere and it can actually cause the system to get gummed up, right? Energy needs to keep moving. We know scientifically that both the heart and the brain make their own electricity. Mm. And that ties in with the chakras as well. And I think that before we knew what electricity was, I think that this was where these ideas were coming from that people realized energy came from the human body, but they just didn't have the vocabulary. So they called it chakras. And, And there's also this concept in Reiki, qi is the Japanese word for energy. And in Chinese medicine, qi is the word for, and in traditional uh, Chinese medicine and acupuncture, qi is the word for energy. I've so that, yeah. Sh- yeah, whether you're calling it a chakra with energy movement or qi or qi or whatever word you want to assign to it, our body makes energy and that energy needs to keep moving through the circulatory system, through breathing and through just generally having like our lymphatic system draining and all of those things working together and more and things that we probably don't understand yet medically as well moving and working together. And when one of those chakras gets blocked because of a trauma or some type of emotional thing that happened that just got stuck in our body, it gums up the whole system. And eventually you can have pain, inflammation, medical issues happening in that part of the body. So when we're working with the chakras, whether it's through yoga or meditation or some other form of alternative healing, such as Reiki or shamanic healing or something like that, um, or even, like I said, acupuncture and things like that, reflexology. Yeah. There's so many that address this. And most of them are Eastern forms of, of medicine and alternative practices that when we get that flowing and moving again, swelling will go down. So we'll see cases with like edema um, mm. getting helped or just people being less puffy, less swollen. And even though we're not doing like lymphatic drainage massage therapy or something like that, you can certainly do that too. It helps with that because the energy gets moving again. So it's good for all kinds of different things, whether they're physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or energetic. 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. So then to recap for simpler terms um, for our listeners here. So essentially you, the seven chakras are the most well-known ones um, and there are different parts in your body from head to toe that hold these energy, this energy source. Um, right. That goes they correspond your body. to the chakras. Correct. Okay. So then they, so when one gets blocked from a trauma, it stops all the energy from flowing through the rest of your body and can lead to all these physical symptoms, such as swelling that you talked about, inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. So what you do is you work on unblocking those through mm-hmm. move, the movement of energy. And we'll get into mm-hmm. that. Um, and that kind of aligns, is it, is the term align the chakras? Ah, uh, yes. However, okay. just as a side note, um, shamanism doesn't specifically mention the chakras and neither does Reiki because again, chakra is a Sanskrit word, but they do both work with energy and it being stuck in the body. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go into that. Let's touch on that. Can you, um, tell us the difference between Reiki and shamanic healing? Absolutely. So, um, Usui Reiki is the type that I practice. There are currently over 250 different types of Reiki now practiced in the world, but the original one, the Usui Natural Method of Healing, as it was originally called by Dr. Mikao Usui, a Japanese physician, uh, is the oldest one. That's the one that I practice and teach. And basically, there is no central certifying organization for this. You're certified through your teacher, and you have what's known as a lineage in just like with martial arts and a lot of other things that we see come from the east there's this tradition of i learned from my teacher but who was their teacher and where did they learn from so you'll get you know a lineage when you're learning and you'll find out who that lineage is through mm. and so my lineage like most people's goes all the way back to dr mikao usui um and reiki is a it is the gentlest form of healing on the planet that i know of uh and it is either light pressure or just working above someone's body if they're not comfortable being touched or working via distance. So we could do this over Zoom mm-hmm. uh, or something like that, which is how I currently work is everything I do is virtual at this point since COVID. Yeah. And I and... know tons of languages too, which is so neat. So you oh, truly thanks. work with t- tons of people around the world, huh? I work with people from all different walks of life, really from all over, all over this country. I've worked with people from other countries. Um, different cultural groups, different immigrant groups in this country as well. Uh, so That's amazing. Thank Continue. you. <laughs> Some of my other languages are terrible and I can just kind of get by though. And people are like, oh, you're doing a great job <laughs> kind of thing. And it's like, oh, you're so nice. Thank you. I know I messed up. But uh, yeah, that's. I just feel like everyone should be welcome, you know, to yeah. this work. And uh, the more the merrier. So So Reiki is uh, two, actually two words, and it means universal life force energy. And that's that chi or ki or the chakra energy that flows through all of us, whatever you want to call it. Um, So in Reiki, we work on moving energy, on blocking energy, removing energy that doesn't belong, putting healing energy in and just keeping things moving. And Reiki works on body, mind, emotions, and spirit. Uh, And there is a very gentle approach with it and it's very relaxing it's very comforting people having a reiki session it's a similar effect to massage therapy except we're not doing massage therapy mm. um, and in some cases we're not even touching someone so right. we're working on specific things that someone wants to focus on as well as whatever is coming up that they're okay with working on during the session and i've had people cry on the table because some emotional blockage was in their body from some usually grief is a big one. Um, so if they had a loss of a relationship or a loved one or a pet or a job or a career, 
there's sometimes this grief stuck in their chest and that often manifests as medical problems initially. And when doctors and nurses sometimes don't find something specifically wrong, they'll come to someone like me. And we realize that, okay, well, there's obviously something bothering you that you're noticing that's going on energetically under the surface and emotionally. So yeah. let's face that and deal with that. And so uh, we work with that kind of problem, but we also work with physical problems. A lot of the people that I work with for Reiki are dealing with anxiety, stress, but they also have physical injuries or arthritis, mm-hmm. especially the senior citizens that I work with um, have a lot of those issues. So, so we're doing that and it's all supportive to, it goes beautifully with things like physical therapy, massage therapy, craniosacral therapy, uh, cold laser therapy, uh, and whatever, like if they've just had surgery or something as well, whatever they're doing medically, this is in addition to that. And it, it doesn't interact with that negatively at all. Mm. So shamanic healing, there are many different types of shamanic healing around the world. What I do is called core shamanic healing and counseling. And core shamanism is very much like this purest form of shamanism. That is what is in common between the vast majority of indigenous cultures to this day around the world. And all of the techniques that were obtained in core shamanism were obtained with permission from various indigenous groups around the world. There are many other forms of shamanism, though. We have as many different people that are indigenous around the whole world and even just on our continent, on this continent that we live on that are coming from a place of having different cultural and spiritual beliefs and therefore different healing practices as a result of that, that are directly correlated to whatever their belief system is. That makes sense. Yeah. So this doesn't interfere with that. Um, the, the, the type of shamanism that I practice core shamanism and that I teach is really truly based on these oldest practices. So regardless of where we hail from genetically in the world, all of our ancestors were initially going to be tribal peoples and tribal peoples were going to be looking for healing like everybody else does, right? In the community. And so the people that were in the role of shamanic practitioner, um, shaman means one who sees in the dark. And it's a word from the Sungus people of Siberia, but it's been kind of generalized to talk about this type of work in the modern world. They would have had different names, like a medicine person is one example of that, or uh, a holy person. You have some people that run ceremony in tribal communities, some people that work with plants, some people who are midwives, some people that help the dead and the dying to cross over, and other people who do other things. So the shamanic practitioners of various types a long time ago were the first psychologists. They were the first physicians. They were the first uh, everything, really, for healers. And that's where all of our healing originates. And so... This type of healing in some cultures is dying out because tribal peoples are being persecuted by their governments or they are assimilating so much into the modern cultures that they're losing their old indigenous ways. So the Foundation for Shamanic Studies that was founded by Michael Harner uh, decided that they were going to step in as a nonprofit organization and help to make sure that some of this way of life and that the, the, the freedom to continue to practice this traditional indigenous way of life could be protected for everybody that wants that in various places in the world. So that's the difference of where okay. it comes from. Okay. There's so much history in that. So tons in for this. both, for both types of healing. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. It's, it's really neat to, you know, especially being in the medical world as a nurse, mm-hmm. um, kind of realizing, you know, the heart of healing, yeah. it comes from this and that's really it special. does. Yeah. Because it is, it's an and, art. It's an art. Yeah, absolutely. And many of the medical professionals that I have met 
when they're diagnosing something, you can't deny that. Yeah, there's science and you, you've got textbooks and you've got all the things that you've learned. But there's with really good medical professionals, there's always an element of intuition of what somebody needs because you can make a decision between something very drastic in that moment or something very less invasive. Right. Yes. And so my sister's a nurse practitioner who works in a school with kids. And I've seen it with her many times and she's excellent at diagnosing people. And there's just something you can't quite put your finger on about how she just knows things sometimes. And uh, I think that that really comes from our roots. Yeah. Right. Everybody's roots as healers. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That's really neat. Now, can you briefly, you kind of touched on it, but very briefly just talk about the difference between a shaman and then a shaman practitioner, shamanic practitioner. So a shaman is a culture culture and linguistic specific term that is, it's a title that's given. So anything that means the same thing as shaman. um, So the term curandero or curandera or the term vegetalista or the term um, holy person or medicine person, those are titles that are given in a tribal community and you have to live among that tribal community and be practicing walking the way of life of that community in order to obtain that name. So mm-hmm. someone who studies in a program to become a shamanic practitioner, we don't have a right to call ourselves shaman or anything else. Yeah. So we call ourselves shamanic practitioners because nobody gave me that title. I decided to study that. And out of respect for indigenous people in this country and around the world, uh, that's the proper way to call ourselves as a shamanic practitioner. So we don't use the word shaman. And many people, if you see people calling themselves, oh, I'm a shaman and they're doing shamanic work, that is ego. And there's there's a level of, did you actually get training? From yeah. <laughs> like that's a, just a red flag in my line of work. So- okay. And that's good um, for us listeners to know yeah. if we go seeking this treatment yeah. practice. Right. It's very, right. that's, that's Cause, good. Cause it, would, it would be cultural appropriation if we took that term especially because, like I said, the word shaman comes from the Sungus tribe of Siberia. It's a very one specific small community of people that uses it. And the word means one who sees in the dark. Um, And that is certainly what shamanic practitioners and shamans around the world do. But it would be culturally appropriating for me to take on the term of an indigenous nature that was not given to me. Okay. So Yeah. Awesome. Um, And then for going, going back to Reiki and shamanic healing, which would you recommend if either or both um, for somebody who's experiencing stress and anxiety, specifically a first responder or healthcare worker? So it depends is my answer. So if you are looking something for something specifically that is maintenance oriented, that's going to be gentle, uh, that you can do, you know, every week or something to unwind, I would say go with Reiki. If you're looking for big life changes and to take your power back after an extremely traumatizing incident or a traumatic childhood or uh, repeated on the job trauma, like you're, you've got people dying on the table and, and you're trying to revive them and you're not able to, that takes a toll. And the other things that you see that maybe not everyone that you're working with is completely ethical uh, in the moment, they're not getting consent from patients and you're seeing patients going through trauma. Those are things that are going to traumatize you eventually. And uh, if not immediately. And so if you want to face those things and release them and you want bigger changes faster, typically I would recommend shamanism, core shamanism for that. Okay. So Reiki is like, it can be really big, but it's usually very gentle, very slow progression. And it's often done for maintenance. Mm -hmm. Whereas shamanism can be gentle, but it's most often about letting go of what is no longer serving us, taking our power back in situations and fully facing that trauma, just going through facing that dark night of the soul um, to take our power back once and for all 
and to look at life in a little bit of a different way than, or maybe a majorly different way than we used to, so that we handle trauma as it's coming at us completely differently and look at it differently than we used to. Yes. And that is, that is the shift that needs to happen for a lot of people in these positions. Um, so that sounds, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, wow. This, this I find this so interesting <laughs> if you can't tell. Um, and speaking of, tell us about the requirements to become a master Reiki or shamanic practitioner and what was specifically your experience like? So there, there are many different people that are teachers. Uh, and like I said, there are other forms of shamanism out there. So it depends on what someone's looking for. Uh, so I would say do your homework because, again, there's no central certifying organization, uh, which means that unlike the medical field, unlike massage therapy, you have many options, but not all of them. Are, you don't, you just don't know. So do your research. Ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, but specifically, you need to find a Reiki master teacher if you're going to learn Reiki. And you need to determine what type of Reiki do I want to study? Do I want to study Usui Reiki? Do I want to study Usui Reiki Ryoho? Do I want to study Shambhala Reiki or Karuna Reiki or Holy Fire Reiki? Because those are just a few of the newer types of Reiki. Mm. So for me, what is old and was working and is still working is what I went with because it seemed more, I'm very skeptical and scientifically minded about a lot of things. So for me, I was like, well, if they're still using it and they've been using it for a couple hundred years now, that seems more provably at least at least anecdotally speaking it's probably got something to it i'm going to go with that yes so i happen to fall into the usui natural method of healing is the one that i studied and it can take a varying amount of time so some there's you can learn reiki in a weekend through some people that is not traditional uh traditionally reiki is learned gradually because we want people to heal we want to we want to stretch that rubber band but we don't want it to snap yeah. Right. Um, and break. So getting people to a point where they're learning and they're growing with learning Reiki a little bit at a time is uh, seen as healthier emotionally and energetically, as well as physically, than just pow, pow, now you're a Reiki master and you can't really truly master something unless you've been working in it for years. Right. Mm -hmm. So and again, that's a title that's given to you by your Reiki teacher. You don't just start calling yourself that. So there's Reiki one. Reiki 2 and Reiki at the master or master teacher level in the type of Reiki that I studied. There are differences out there with other types of Reiki, but the one that I do, the original one, that's what it is. And it's usually, it took three years for me to become a, that have the title Reiki master teacher and uh, which is less time than some people, but that's because I already had a teaching background. So my teacher yeah. did not have to teach me how to teach because that's something I already knew how to do. Right. And so uh, but it can take longer than that. It can take shorter than that. It depends on the individual. With shamanism, um, there is a, a certifying organization uh, that is the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. And it is a very expensive program. And you do like weeks and weekends here and there all over the country. With my schedule, I was a teacher working six days a week at a public charter school. There was no way I could a, afford that on a teacher's salary <laughs> student loans. And two, that I could just take the time off of work whenever I wanted. It wasn't offered at a time during like a school break. So mm -hmm. I I was like, okay, I have to find something driving distance that I can do on the weekends. And I did. I found a program in Vermont that was actually people who had been trained by Michael Harner in the Foundation for Shamanic Studies. And they were teaching the exact same program um, for less money and just on Saturdays. And so that's how I learned. And it was a three-year program uh, and it was 
the first year you learn some things, the second year you learn more things, and the third year you learn even more things still. So I studied for three years, went on to study more uh, with private in individuals um, in specific types of indigenous practice. And uh, I ended up having a lot of people asking me, how can I learn to do shamanic journeying? And how I would like to study this for myself or because I want to use it to help other people. So I ended up teaching that as well. So, and same thing with herbalism, right? So I became an herbalist and it was several years of training for that in multiple different programs. Uh, I had initially a certification and then I did many other programs through many other colleges and herbalists and things over the years, which most herbalists do that. And because of the teaching background, I'm a teacher first and foremost, and it's just like who I am. Mm -hmm. um, in, in being a healer, I decided to teach herbalism because people were also asking about it. And mm -hmm. So, and in that time period, while all of this other stuff was going on, people were asking me about yoga and meditation. So I got certified to do that and about other types of fitness and moving their body in a safe way. So I became a certified group exercise instructor. Now you do all so, the things. <laughs> and now I do all the things. Yeah. So it's a lot, but it's great because every day is a little bit different. Definitely. But definitely. I can imagine that it, it brings a great variety to your work, um, which is, which is Personally, I'm the same way. I need a bunch of different baskets to fill. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just, you know, less fun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you're always learning this way. Right. Exactly. And and you have many tools in your toolbox to be able to offer people who yes. you're working with too when you have a lot of different things going on in your life. Which is great for that like holistic type mm -hmm. of care. It sure is. Yeah. Um, now what, I'm trying to see, think how we're this, what emotional or spiritual transformation did you have to go through? during your training to master it? So we have to go from being a wounded healer to a healed healer. Okay. And a wounded healer is someone who is going to be full of red flags, but is only going to be able to help you as much as they've worked on themselves. They've tried yeah. to maybe spiritually bypass stuff or just avoid it. And uh, they're seeking more like power and notoriety instead of actually being in it for just as a job to do, to do for life, yep. to continue to be committed to working on themselves. Right. And I think that everybody is going to have more trauma. As long as we're here physically, we're going to continue to have trauma because every day brings a new adventure and stuff happens, right? As I said already, but my personal journey was that aside from all the medical things that I had to get over, mm -hmm. which was the bulk of what I went through, I had a traumatic childhood. So I had a time where Again, Parkinson's disease was not widely known. I had a grandparent get sick and die from Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of diabetic family members and I had a lot of alcoholic family members. And so seeing all of those things in my extended family and having a grandparent that I helped care for as a child because she could no longer speak and was trapped inside of her body, she could no longer walk, um, was heartbreaking to say the least I can't even and imagine. very awful. Right. So, and that was the person that I was really closest to who I felt like got me out of all the grownups in my life. Right. So that was my first real horrifically awful emotional trauma, I would say as a kid. And so I had to get through that and have a different kind of relationship because I definitely believe in life after death. I know not everybody does and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a, I, have a different kind of relationship with my deceased grandmother now. Um, and she's not, there is no death from a shamanic perspective. Uh, it is really a change of worlds, which is, is, is really true. 
Um, and it is inner work and physical work and emotional work and psychological mental work, as well as learning and studying all at once. So I had stuff that was stuck in my, in my body from bad medical experiences that I had had as a child and a teen growing up and grief stuck in my body, definitely as well. And I also had generational inherited trauma because I come from an, an immigrant family who spoke French as a first language. And I'm the first generation of that family that speaks English as a first language. I had to learn French in school. So there was this rush to assimilate and anyone that's coming from a bicultural family, whether you are coming from a Spanish speaking family, a French speaking family, an Italian speaking family, a Swahili speaking family, what, whatever that language is, um, a Vietnamese speaking family, the culture and the language that you're from is going to be different and probably somewhat contradictory to American culture. And so there's a culture shock when someone moves here looking for a, a better opportunity for themselves and their children. And there's a lot of trauma that comes with that. That's, that's inadvertent. That just happens because of the shock of a child having to be one person in their home life and another person when they're at school to fit in. Yeah. And so there's anxiety that comes with that. And so that was also an issue for me is, is figuring out how do you fit in? I'm, I'm kind of a bridge between two worlds and that's really what a healer is. Mm. And so that was my personal journey, uh, of getting through those things and ma making sense of those things and healing from those things and taking away the lessons. So in shamanism, we say that your greatest trauma is your greatest gift. It doesn't feel like a gift at the time, yeah. but when we do the work to work through that trauma on the other side of that trauma, as we're healing incredible lessons, incredible life-changing lessons and, and really major empowerment are on the other side of that. So we're then able to say, oh, it was a gift. Now looking at it, didn't feel like it at the time, but now I see looking back that this was, a, that was most definitely a gift in my life. And so that's really the realization when you're on the other side and you can be a Reiki master or you can be a shamanic practitioner is, is that you've gone through all of that. You're not angry anymore. You're not hurting anymore. You are, you've let those things go. You have compassion has replaced those things and understanding and mm. sympathy and empathy are things that have been replaced and you have healthy boundaries and you're not codependent anymore. If you grew up in a family like me, um, you know, and so these are the things that I learned personally, but every single person's journey is going to be different because all of our trauma is a little bit different. Right. And, and that really goes to show how, you know, the power that you can hold through your compassion and through your care for others that can be taken away by the yes, trauma that you hold. And as a first responder or as a healthcare worker, the more trauma you experience, the less present you're going to be able to be with that patient or with that person that you're helping and the less compassion you're going to feel. And I personally feel like that is a major reason why burnout is so popular. Absolutely. Today. I agree 100%. 100%. Absolutely. And I've got to say from a shamanic perspective, it's not just because we've gone through these emotional traumas and we're kind of like numb because we see them so right. much of the time, which happens to teachers, by the way, too. It's like, oh, there's yeah. another fight in the hallway. All right, well, let's go get help. Right. And it's, it's the same. Oh, someone brought a knife to school again. All right. Well, let's get the authorities in here. Okay. You know, kind of thing. And, and it, you get used to it. However, from a shamanic perspective, we have this disassociation, which is also, we talk about this in psychology too, in this country and in the Western world. So there's this disassociation that happens, this break to protect our mental state. 
and our emotional state that happens with this repeated trauma exposure. Mm-hmm. However, from a shamanic perspective, it's not just that. The disassociation comes from the fact that a piece of us energetically breaks off. So we actually experience something called soul loss from a shamanic perspective, that we have this incredible profound trauma that that is awful in some way. And a piece of our psyche and spirit breaks off and goes somewhere else to protect itself, which is what causes that kind of, oh, life isn't as good anymore. And I feel kind of numb. And uh, let me fill this hole with maybe drugs or alcohol or some kind of addiction or things just colors aren't as bright and things aren't as nice anymore in my life. And so that's what we see. This is an epidemic. People are walking around energetically looking like Swiss cheese and like just full of holes in their energy field because they've had so much trauma and it's lots of people in the medical profession, definitely, but other people too. And I would say like first responders are Definitely there's that going on for first responders of all kinds uh, because of the stuff that they see, but all medical professionals and teachers and many other professions and just people in general who, if you came from an abusive home and upbringing, you're going to have a lot of energy missing. And so it becomes harder to make good decisions and decisions coming from a place of compassion and empathy for other humans. It is. And I, and I, I feel that we can see that a lot in the world today and um, I see it throughout my entire profession and it's important that we find ways to take that power back. Right. More than just habits. It's more than just habits. It is is self-reflection and letting go of that as you speak about in your practice. Absolutely. And being willing to take your power back and get out of victim mindset too. And getting out of the burnout. And and that can mean someone like myself stepping in in the role of a spiritual midwife, which is essentially what I am uh, in many ways. And, and, getting those soul parts, bringing them back to someone, but also helping that person to understand that we're not going to do anything without your permission. So if you're not ready yet to face this stuff, okay, we won't do a soul retrieval or something like that. And spontaneous soul retrieval can happen during Reiki as well, but it's getting those pieces of ourselves back. And in order to earn those pieces of ourselves back, we have to do the work. Yep. We have to. Yep. And a lot of people don't really know where to start. Um, So I think that this having this conversation and putting this out there is extremely important, um, which is part of the reason why I was so excited for having you on here today. Thank Um, you. Yeah. So if, let's say if somebody is listening to this and they're like very interested in seeking this treatment, can you walk us through what a typical session with a client would look like to you? So let's say they come to you with symptoms of insomnia, depression, anxiety, relating to traumatic experiences that have built up over their job, being a first responder, how would you treat them? And what would this session look like? Okay. First, I can't call it treatment because I'm not a medical professional. So I can't diagnose or treat anything legally um, because what I do is considered alternative healing, not medical in any way, shape or form. So I'm very cautious with the language I would use, especially with a medical professional uh, working with a medical professional. So I have a new client intake form that I have everybody fill out that details what their specific symptoms are that they're experiencing. And people can opt to share as much or as little as they want to. Uh, if they've done any other type of healing or any talk therapy or anything leading up to their session with me, any meds that they're taking, uh, because some meds can be very numbing to us emotionally and psychologically, and it can make it difficult to feel what's going on energetically and emotionally during a session. So it's important to, for me to know that stuff. Um, and any major prior trauma I would ask about on there, I just it, not in detail at that point, because as we save that for a discussion during the session. 
And then after getting all that information, I would be asking for a goal, at least one goal for a session. And a Reiki session is typically an hour long and a shamanic healing session is typically two hours long. And with shamanism, we would have the first hour is spent just talking and talking about what they're looking to heal and validating what happens to them and in a, in a safe, non-judgmental space. So that first hour is counseling. And the second hour is when we do the healing and energy work. And um, in that case, I'd be doing a diagnostic journey. So I can't diagnose things physically or medically, but I can certainly diagnose things spiritually and energetically in the work that I do and find out where things are stuck that don't belong, where things are missing and bringing up any messages to help that person at whatever point they're at with the next step in their lives and taking their power back in and getting the healing that they feel that they need at that time. And so that type of healing is going to be as gentle or as not gentle uh, as that person is open to only as much healing as that person is ready for is what's going to happen during that session. And we have people rest after that for the rest of the day because they're technically speaking going to be in an altered state. They're going to be a little trancy for the rest of the day. It's very big healing. Um, and it is, like I said, very life changing and it will continue. That healing is going to integrate for up to a year after a session. So most people will have follow up sessions to make sure that the healing is continuing appropriately, but not everyone does. Mm-hmm. And in the case of a Reiki session, we would talk for probably about at that first session, usually about 15 or 20 minutes to see what's going on and maybe give a little bit more detail about some of the things they put on the intake form. And so, for example, uh, a lot of people that have come to me for that are dealing with something difficult at work. That inc- I've had a lot of medical professionals come to me for help. So they're dealing with something stressful at work or with their personal lives, or they just had surgery or they're someone with cancer is looking for um, relief from some of the cancer symptoms, as well as some of the chemotherapy radiation side effects. Uh, So I would be talking to them about that, focusing on whatever areas of their body, they might be feeling physical pain and whatever chakras align with the emotional pain that they're in. And so there would be various hand positions I'd be using with that person over different parts of the body to help move their energy in the case of a Reiki session. And if I'm doing shamanism, I'm rattling in my ear, I'm using a drum. There's often art and music involved in shamanism. And Reiki is very just, you know, you're laying on a table and you can just go to sleep if you want to. You can also often do that with shamanism, but it's usually a little more participatory with shamanism. So those are the very bare bones, basic things about what it looks like for a session with someone. And how does that work over Zoom? Just curious. So energy, it's energy healing. So it's exactly the same over Zoom as it would be in person, except I'm not touching them. Um, I can still make contact with their energy and talk with them about their emotions and Mm -hmm. work with everything. And some people actually find that it's more beneficial for them over Zoom because they don't have the added stress of having to drive somewhere. So they can just be in their own bed or be on their couch snuggled up and just go to sleep afterwards and have a nap, which is a great thing to do. It's like it hydrate and nap after a session is the best possible thing that you could do to make that healing continue. Okay. Yeah, I did. I did read that actually when I was doing some research mm-hmm. on this. Um, and now just a question out of my own personal curiosity. Sure. Um, I was doing some research on the articles you sent me reading a lot about it. Um, and it mentioned how, shamanic practitioners use spirits, um, yeah. or, uh, to guide them, um, whether it be ancestral or 
whatever. Um, and one, one, um, article quoted that the journeys to the other worlds are visual. They wander through a landscape of beings and other hear distinct sounds and voices from spirits. Can you speak to this? Have you experienced this? Does it look like this for everyone? So first thing I'm going to address just the different spirits that we work with. So we work with helping and benevolent spirits. And that is a thing in Reiki as well. And and a lot of different types of healing around the world, culturally speaking and spiritually speaking. But shamanism specifically focuses on we have seven different directions, the east, the south, the west, the north, the upper world, the lower world, and the middle world are the seventh direction where helping benevolent spirits live. And that's the only spirits that we work with. That And they give us information and healing. They provide the healing for people. So we all are born with multiple different types of helping spirits. So we have power animals. We all have a central power animal. We all have up to six power animals, and those can change. We also have ancestral uh, helping spirits that would be tied to our own lineage um, in our lives and our bloodline. We also have guardian angels, teachers, guides. There's a, just a variety. Even some nature spirits can be helping mm-hmm. as well. And so there are a multitude of spirits that are helping. There are also many that are not helping and some that are stuck here. So we help spirits that are stuck here with psychopomp work, helping the dead and the dying to cross over, helping people with grief and things like that. So aside from that, in working with the the shamanic journey is central to this work of shamanism. And that's how we get the vast majority of our information. And we are getting information from our spirits and intuition. Some people are very visual. Some people are not. So for me, I am very visual. I'm also very auditory. So I can see and hear a lot of different things. And uh, that works for me. Some people don't really see much of anything when they're doing a shamanic journey because everybody's different. So it's just like everyone learns differently. So some people are super visual learners or they're kinesthetic learners. They need to be moving and trying it themselves. Some people need to hear it, you know, in like a lecture. Um, And not everybody learns the same way. So not everybody experiences what we call non-ordinary reality the same way. So where we live here now is ordinary reality, the material world. That's very like concrete and like A and B and C and one plus two is three kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In non-ordinary reality, it's a bit like going down the rabbit hole and nothing is as it seems. And things are very much more like fluid and much more um, just altered and non-ordinary. And there's no ego in that realm. So we are free of our conscious egoic mind and we can access the subconscious mind and we can also then better communicate with all the spirits and energies that are out in the entire universe, not just in the world, as well as the energies that are within people and around people. So for me, it's visual, it's auditory, it's everything. For other people, it might just be a sense of something like they just know during a journey or they hear something and they maybe have a flash of something visual because, again, not everyone can visualize things in their mind um, and receives things that way. So, yeah, that's a great question. And it's important to understand what shamanism is about. So the the shamanic journey is central to um, this work. And we typically use there are different ways to do it. So some cultures use psychotropic drugs to get into that state. And I don't do that. I do drug-free shamanism. Core shamanism is always drug-free. So we use three beats per second, like a metronome or a like a hypnotherapist might use, or a rattle or bells or a drum is going to be specific to uh, the, the journey. And that takes your brain waves 
and shifts gears and takes you to that trance state right before you'd be falling asleep. So I believe it's theta waves, um, the, the waves right before you get into a deep sleep at night. Um, it's that same place you go in your brain. So you're really open to yeah. suggestion and really open to trance. And that's how it works. And you can still have your eyes open and be talking. I could be in a trance talking to you right now and it wouldn't be a problem. For some people it is. Yeah. But I've been doing this a long time, so it's not a problem for me. So. <laughs> and now, and I feel this is important. Do you have to believe in the spiritual world for this to be effective? This is a really important question. So um, I think that you at least need to be, oh, so here's the thing. Here's the quandary, uh, right? If, if you want healing and you're open to healing, we don't know everything. There's some kind of like, we're not completely in control as much as we would love to believe that we are. There's always some weird factor. We don't know exactly the moment that someone's going to die or exactly the moment that someone's cancer is going to be eradicated and go into remission, right? So if you're not at least open to something divine at play or something unknown out there, some energy, some creative force, some loving force, then I don't think you're really ready for healing. If mm. that's the case, I have no problem with people who are atheists. I don't work with atheists. I'll work with someone who's agnostic, who's not sure what they believe in, if they're open to the possibility that there might be something out there. Yep. Yep. Uh, but our ancestors, none, none of them were atheists or agnostic. All of our ancestors were regularly in communication with their helping spirits, and they knew exactly who their helping spirits were at all times. Yeah. Um, and they understood that the root cause of a lot of physical illnesses was emotional distress, spiritual distress, energetic distress, and that the way to help heal some of those physical ailments faster was to deal with that other stuff. Yep. So, so yeah, so I personally don't work with someone if they don't even believe in anything. I work with a lot of people who say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. But I do work with some people who are religious. I work with people from all different religions and even with very strict religious beliefs. I've, I've seen people um, and worked with people from very strict backgrounds as far as what is prescribed for their religious perspective and belief system. Um, but I've also worked with people who are very loosey-goosey. And I've also worked with people like including medical professionals who are like, I'm not really sure I believe in anything, but I'm open to there being something yes. out there. So then that's great. So I think it, the okay. more that you are open to being spiritual and to that side of yourself, which is deeply tied into the emotional side of ourselves too, yeah. Yeah. a lot of people don't realize that, that the more open we are to that, the more we're going to be able to accept healing. So if you are looking for healing, that path to spirituality, everything you need is inside of you, first of all, but we're also on this beautiful earth that's providing for us. And it's a new day. It's a reason to be grateful. And there is this some kind of divine power holding the universe together. And whatever you want to call it, in shamanism, we call it spirit, right? There's yeah. there's many different things that we could call it. And people have many different beliefs. But there's something out there is what my personal belief is. And I think that this work works much better when someone does believe that there's something out there. Because they're more open to a miracle. Yep. Yep. I understand that. So essentially, as long as they're open and on, I, I personally don't, I can't imagine somebody coming to you not being open 
to healing. And right. To exactly. Healing like why would they be contacting someone like me if they weren't at least open to something exactly. being out there? Right. It's like, oh, and they okay. don't have to know what they don't have to <laughs> right. know exactly they what yeah, they believe. Absolutely. But as long as they have this openness to, to something like something could happen that I just can't control or that I can't foresee and exactly. I'm seeking it, then it, they could be, it could be effective what you do. That's great to know. That's a really, I'm really glad that I asked that question. Cause I just, yeah, that me too. a lot of people could be sitting here going, I don't know if it's going to work for me. Like exactly. I'm not super churchy or whatever, but you don't have to be. It's okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I can kind of resonate with those people too. So I think that's, yeah. I think that's a great clarification to have. Um, and lastly, what, if you can think of any tools in the toolbox, um, that you could recommend for people experiencing consequential problems from a trauma, what would you recommend? So I'm a very practical gal. Uh, yeah. So I would recommend first and foremost, uh, seeking out some kind of support system. Do you have a support system? Do you have a support group for people who are experiencing stress or anxiety? Because we have many support groups uh, around that are, some of them are online and mm -hmm. we have phone numbers you can call if you're having extreme stress or you're in a, a state of trauma or crisis. So those are great tools to start off with. And, and working back from there, are you hydrated? Is your blood sugar okay? Because I don't know about you, but when I'm hangry, <laughs> things are much more stressful and I'm much more anxious and I'm angry because I need to eat and my blood sugar is low, right? So when's the last time you ate? Are you hydrated? How much sleep are you getting at night? What does your sleep hygiene look like? So does that mean you're going to bed at all different times? And I know like for people that work medical shifts, so you're sometimes, especially like first responders and people that work at the hospital, I don't know how all of you do it. And kudos to all of you because <laughs> you're saving lives every day, but like 12 hour and 24 hour and 36 hour shifts, I would not be able to do that. I probably yeah. would get messed up my circadian rhythm. I wouldn't be able to sleep for a week afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's not healthy. We know that's not healthy for the body. Right. And so, and the system that we're working with in here is broken. I think everybody understands that the medical system is broken. The people who work in that system are amazing and they are doing everything that they can to help others, but they have to maneuver through this really bizarre system where they have to be up for so many hours yeah. and stuff. So, so there's not a lot hygiene. out there to help them. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, exactly. So, so, so sleep hygiene, what can you do if you're up for 36 hours at a time? I mean, so you do the best that you can with that, but sleep hygiene is very, very important. Um, and then also doing something for yourself, whether it is movement every day is a wonderful thing to do to help you manage your stress and eating a whole foods diet, uh, mm -hmm. and lifestyle, right. Where you're really nourishing your body taking any supplements that you need to, if you've got, you know, like a lot of people have low vitamin D or low magnesium, and those are things that we can supplement if a blood test says so. Yep. Um, we can use herbs. We can use gentle herbs, nerve, gentle nervine herbs like chamomile or lemon balm in a tea to help us to calm our central nervous system. We can cut down on caffeine, which is really hard if you're a medical professional, just like it's really hard for teachers, right? So uh, because you're fueled off of that a lot of the time to just keep going and it yeah. keeps you sharp. So we can do that. We can do things that are nourishing for our adrenals. So sleep and rest and time in nature, as well as those gentle nervines, nourishing tonic teas. So those are just a few tools, but then also doing something like get a massage every month or get a Reiki session every couple of weeks or uh, do something that involves something energetic or something emotional. Go to a talk therapist when you have 
the time, you know, every other week or something like that, or even if it's only once a month, anything that you are doing for yourself is going to pay off much bigger than you realize. And if you've got children and you work, then you've got, I know, literally no time. Like you're locked in the bathroom crying or whatever, and you're trying to do a meditation on your cell phone while someone's screaming outside the door. I get that. So anything that you can do, whether it's getting up a few minutes earlier, going to bed a few minutes later, or locking yourself in the restroom if necessary to have a good cry, those are all forms of self-care to get stuff done and, and to address whatever you need to address because anything that you're addressing in yourself is going to make you a better medical professional and a better healer. Anything that you're addressing within yourself is going to make you a better parent as well. So, so those are just a few tools for people that I would recommend that I regularly recommend for people. And I think it depends on the person. Yeah. And as a night shifter, I hear you. I am taking note personally in my head too. So Yeah. See, I'm a morning person, so I just don't even, I can't. I have no idea how you do it. You do. It's amazing. But in, and you're a labor and delivery nurse, right? So it's yeah. even like a lot of people are having babies at night. So you yeah. have to be there. You know, so yep. yeah, but I, I tell myself I don't have kids. So I tell myself, at least I don't have that added stressor. And I, I actually right. think those and people, many are people do. Yeah. And it's those people yeah. are superheroes. Yes, they I are. don't even, I don't I don't even understand how you can do both. It's incredible. It's it incredible. incredible. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, so thank you for this conversation and thank you for educating us, first of all, and me, um, as well as kind of opening up the side of a form of healing to all these listeners. Um, I feel that's very important and um, something very unique that a lot of people wouldn't really think of, wouldn't really reference or even think this could work for me. Um, So to close this out, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all of our listeners or all of our interviewers, sorry. And that is what is one old or new way in which you take more than 10 seconds for yourself to process a stress? Ooh, I love that question. Uh, Okay, there are lots of ways. Let's see. I'm a big fan as a woman who's grew up fortunately in a family where I was encouraged to talk about my feelings. An old way of dealing with it is to just talk to a trusted friend. Mm. Um, If something is a new trauma to help me process it and maybe get any validation that I need to get feedback about it or just to have someone listen to provide a safe space for me to talk about it, talking about it with a friend. Um, And then my other favorite way of dealing with it, that's a newer way of dealing with it for me, is actually making myself a cup of warm, hot tea, an herbal tea, and stopping what I'm doing, focusing on what does that tea smell like? What does it look like? What does it taste like? How warm is the cup in my hands, especially in the wintertime? Get under a fuzzy blanket and just think about what happened as I drink that tea and try to release as much of it as I can while I'm processing it. Yeah. And that's, that's a great way to great tool. And I feel that, um, for those coming back after a scene or after a shift, that's something that they can take a quick 10 minutes and do for themselves. Absolutely. They and that's about how long it takes you to drink a cup of tea, right? It, like yes, 10, exactly. 10 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was great having you today. I've learned so much. I know that our listeners are going to learn so much. Um, and I am just so appreciative of what you do and your journey. Um, I'm inspired by it. You are a huge expander for me. Um, and I just can't thank you enough for being here. Well, thank you. And you're most welcome. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for having me here today. And I hope that this is helpful for people that maybe it opens a new door for some people if they, because different things work for different people. And we should know that we have all these different tools now in the modern world that we can use. And what works for one person 
is great, but it might not work for someone else. So just keep trying things, keep an open mind about it and try different things until you find what does work for you. I completely agree. And that's kind of the goal of my podcast here. I just want to bring a bunch of tools to people's toolboxes so that Uh they know they have options. There are ways they have people, this community to support them. Um, And I appreciate you being part of that conversation. Thank you. And I'm happy to help. So if anybody ever (laughs) needs advice or anything, I'm here. Oh, yes. Where can people reach you? That was going to be. So I have a website. My business name is Harmony Way and my website is HarmonyWayHealing.com. So everything that you could possibly want to know about me and what I do and the different things that I offer, whether you want to take a class with me or a workshop or you want to get a private healing session or something like that, or you want to follow what I have on social media, everything is there on HarmonyWayHealing.com. So that's how people. Great. Great. And I will link that in the show notes for everyone listening. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. (laughs) 